Hello and welcome to Lakes Chat. I'm your host, Jennifer Caddick with the Alliance for the Great Lakes. Earlier this season, we talked about the importance of speaking out on Great Lakes issues during the election season and why voting matters for the Great Lakes. Election day was just over a week ago and the campaign signs are being taken down and political ads have left the airways in Great Lakes states. Today, we're chatting with Joel Bremeyer, the Alliance for the Great Lakes CEO, and Don, jo- Don Jodry, the Alliance's Director for- of Federal Government Relations, about what the results of the midterm elections mean for the Great Lakes. Before we get started, two important notes. First, we're recording this conversation midday on Monday, November 14th. Information may well have changed by the time you listen to this podcast. And second, the Alliance for the Great Lakes is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means that we cannot and do not endorse candidates for office. However, we can and do educate candidates about Great Lakes issues. So hello, Joel and Don. Thanks so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Great to be here, Jen. So I'll jump right in. Uh, We had a number of high-profile races that in the Great Lakes region that gained national attention on the ballot last week. Um, To name a few, there were big name gubernatorial races in Michigan and Wisconsin. There were uh, high profile Senate races in Ohio and Wisconsin, just to name a couple. What are your big takeaways on the environmental front, particularly on water issues from this election year? Joel, I'll start with you. Sure. Thanks, Jen. Um, yeah, first, of, of course, it's it's important to note it's not like there was any explicit Great Lakes policy on the ballot right now. But, you know, thinking about the ways that this election might have been turned by water issues here in the Midwest. Um, one speculation going into the election was that some voters were going to have concerns over the amount of money that was being spent uh, coming out of Congress over the last couple of years. Of course, we saw the bipartisan infrastructure law, the Inflation Reduction Act, and with that came a lot of dollars, billions of dollars to do things like replace lead drinking water pipes and fix sewage overflows and things that a lot of Great Lakers generally agree on. Uh, It doesn't appear that there was any real negative blowback from that spending um, in in the election results. Um, The other thing I noticed was that it appears that the youth turnout was up significantly. And while it's, you know, I think the analysis is still going on, um, it's speculated that one of the factors that encouraged that turnout um, was a lot of the organizing that was done around climate change. So again, not explicitly a Great Lakes issue, but certainly one that is coming home to having impacts on the Great Lakes. And that seems to have energized some portion of the folks that were voting last Tuesday. Don, any reflections? Yeah, I agree with Joel. And I would say generally that the environment was not a top issue for voters in this election. The turnout was large. Um, it's a very close election. I will make an observation that there are um, 28 new members for the Great Lakes delegation, two new senators and 26 new House members. Um, they were split with 12 new Democrats and 16 new Republicans. And by and large, we saw a lot of incumbents reelected. We, uh, so I, I do think that Great Lakes issues are just going to go forward in this Congress. As Joel had mentioned, there's a lot of bipartisan support for water and water infrastructure, clean drinking water, things like that. So I don't, I don't see a lot of changes because of this midterm election. 
Now, all eyes uh, nationally are on Congress as we wait for recounts and runoff elections to determine which party holds the House and how big of a majority the Democrats will have in the Senate. Um, and, you know, obviously it matters which party has control of, of either chamber, but I want to dig in a little bit about how these chambers work and what it really means for a party to have control of the House or the Senate. And so, Don, you've worked on Capitol Hill for a long time. Give us a bit of perspective on how Congress works and what kind of influence the majority has um, when they, of either House. Well, you know, the, having the majority in the House or the Senate really does matter. It allows you to set the legislative agenda. Um, it allows you to determine the makeup of the committees, where the members are going to sit, whether or not the committees are split evenly, as they have been in the Senate uh, in the, during the last two years because there was a 50-50 split. Um, it allows you to um, investigate the executive branch. Um, generally, when the party is the, in control of the House or Senate is the same as the executive branch. We don't see a lot of oversight and investigation, but when the party um, is different than the executive branch, we do see more oversights and investigations. Um, so those are three big tools that Congress has in terms of um, its legislative branch powers, um, setting the legislative agenda, determining what, what bills are going to come up for votes, um, determining the makeup of committees, and determining um, whether or not you're going to conduct oversight. Also for the Senate, uh, the party that's uh, in charge has a big say over the executive branch's judicial and other executive branch nominations. So to the extent the party is the same as we anticipate, uh, you know, the Democrats are going to be control of the Senate for the next Congress, we're going to see them more likely to approve the president's judicial nominees and executive branch nominees, whereas that might not be the case if the Republicans were in the majority. So it makes a big, a big difference, I think, in terms of the legislative agenda. And I think it's always interesting, you know, when we think about Congress, um, you know, we think of the big moments, you know, you see on TV where there's one, everybody gets on the float floor of either the House or Senate and says yay or nay. And certainly those big votes are important, but so much work happens in the committees that decides what even gets to a floor vote, you know, those thumbs up or thumbs down votes. Um, so tell us a little bit about, Don, what work is happening in the committees? You know, for instance, I know um, big bills like the Water Resources Development Act. Most of that is happening in a committee, right? Oh, right. The committees, the committees write the legislation for the Congress to consider and ultimately if it's enacted into law that the president will sign. And as you said, a lot of the work happens behind the scenes in the committees. So the bills that tend to go forward are, are, are bills that have originated in the committee structure and have some level of support both within the committee and maybe um, you know, with the other party, because a lot of things that they're going to pass ultimately into law do require in the Senate 60 votes to get over the filibuster rules. Um, but the committees are really everything. Um, in terms of the party control, in terms of setting the overall legislative agenda, they're going to have different views about what's important in terms of it uh, to advance during the year other than the traditional spending bills, which are on sort of an annual track and are sort of part of the normal workload of the Congress. And then, as you mentioned, you mentioned the Water Resources Development Act. Bills like that happen every other year. Uh, the Farm Bill is on a five-year uh, uh, program. And so next year is going to be a Farm Bill year. We know that's going to come up. But beyond that, the parties are going to have an interest in advancing legislation that's specific to them and to their priorities. So we're probably going to see some things advance in the House that may not make it 
in the Senate because the Senate will simply choose to not take up the matter um, if they disagree with the approach the House has taken. But the House Republicans, to the extent um, they're ahead right now in the count and it's anticipated they're going to take over the leadership role in the House by a very slim margin, they may be advanced some measures that the Democrats in the Senate may not want to uh, consider. But, it, but you're absolutely right. A lot of the work happens in the committee structure, and that's where the work happens. Yeah. So shifting over to what the governorships look like, uh, Joel, you know, seven of the eight Great Lakes states had good gubernatorial races on the ballot, and many incumbent uh, governors retained their offices, uh, particularly in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Ohio. What do you think this means for Great Lakes policy at the state level? Yeah, very, very much not a not a change election at the state level. Um, you know, with with a couple of exceptions. Um, but yeah, we did see uh, the the you know, the incumbents win. Um, we saw a new governor uh, in a in an open race in Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro, um, former Attorney General of Pennsylvania. Um, you know, what I see again is you've had some real Great Lakes champions at the gubernatorial level uh, working in different ways over the last couple of years. So. Um, Governor Whitmer in Michigan, really with an emphasis on dealing with that state's water infrastructure challenges. Um, similarly, uh, Governor Evers in Wisconsin focused on issues around water infrastructure, agriculture. Uh, certainly, uh, Governor Mike DeWine in Ohio focused on agricultural issues in a big way. The biggest um, uh, agricultural polluter of Lake Erie is Ohio, and so that's been a, a priority there. I expect those are going to continue as priorities. Um, I also, I had the chance to hear from uh, Governor-elect Shapiro in Pennsylvania in his role as Attorney General uh, at a Great Lakes Commission meeting prior uh, a few weeks prior to the election. And in his comments, clearly he had been you know, thinking about Lake Erie and the importance of Lake Erie to the state of Pennsylvania. I expect that you know, he'll get involved in those issues as governor. One big thing that's always on my radar is the Great Lakes Compact. This is the state level law that governs how Great Lakes water can be used and makes those very limited exceptions for water to be diverted and returned to the Great Lakes. Um, always educating new governors on the importance of their leadership in maintaining the, the integrity of the compact is important. So we'll be certainly doing that with Governor Shapiro and a refresher for all the other governors. Um, but I think what you're gonna see uh, as a result of this kind of, you know, um, you know, steady uh, as she goes election is that uh, some f continued focus on the water priorities that these governors um, had had uh, at the table prior to the election. And uh, I mentioned a few, but, you know, each of the Great Lakes governors has something that, that he or she is working on that's a, pri a water priority for them, whether it's, you know, dealing with invasive carp, dealing with, uh, you know, polluted drinking water. And I expect that you're going to see um, the folks who, uh, uh, the incumbents who won, double down on those priorities and continue to push them um, during during the upcoming two years. I think there will be some new opportunities created, you know, in, in places like Michigan, where there was a uh, really a, a, a once in a generation change where the state Senate actually changed um, party party uh, majority. So now it's a Democratic Senate. And so you have the uh, sort of a single party uh, in on both the state capitol and in the governor's office there. You'll probably see some additional moves to uh, advance things like, um, you know, water pollution control, uh, potentially things like, you know, plastics reduction or additional funding for water infrastructure. There's a long list of priorities that people are going to bring to the table. Um, I think you'll see a renewed push for 
follow through on the pollution diet that's being written for Lake Erie in Ohio. Um, and again, I think, you know, because you've seen these incumbents who have had that dedication to the Great Lakes, I think you're just going to see more of that um, from those offices over the next two years. Yeah, and certainly there's a lot of work each governor does within their state, um, but you mentioned the Great Lakes Compact, which is part of the long history of Great Lakes governors working together in a bipartisan manner across all eight Great Lakes states. Do you anticipate any uh, changes or any issues that are going to come up that they might have to deal with together collectively? As Great Lakes yeah, governors. Yeah, in addition to the compact, which is just so critically important to maintain uh, a united front on, uh, the issue of invasive carp is a big one. So, of course, we've been dealing with this for a long time. And, and uh, as people probably know, there's a project that's uh, under design um, southwest of Chicago at the Brandon Road Lock and Dam that eventually is going to be built and provide the best protections that we can build uh, against invasive carp moving into Lake Michigan. That project costs a lot of money, and eventually there's going to be need to be some state agreements on how to pay for the construction. There's a lot of uh, the federal share of that project, uh, at least the first year of it for construction, has been covered, but there's going to be uh, funding needed for out years and for the state share. That's going to require some cooperation across state lines. And so we know that uh, Michigan and Illinois, so Governors Whitmer and Governor Pritzker and Governor Pritzker have established a good working relationship around making sure that 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 issue, which is a priority for both states, actually gets the attention it needs. There's going to need to be some continued building of agreements on how to pay for that, um, including really Illinois and Michigan's leadership and bringing in other governors over the next couple of years. You know, certainly that's we've covered the uh, you know congressional level, the federal level, in Congress, uh, the governors, and there were probably more races than we could count uh, at the local level um, on the ballots last week. And in a previous Lakes Chat episode, we chatted with Jennifer Lumpkin, who's one of our team members in Cleveland, and she shared a little bit with us about the environmental platform that the alliance had worked on in partnership with a lot of community groups and local conservation groups uh, in the Cleveland area, and they were using that to educate the candidates for the Cuyahoga County executive race, which was an open seat first in a long time. Um, for those who aren't familiar, Cuyahoga County is the county that holds uh, the city of Cleveland. So certainly a big area in the state of Ohio there. And uh, Chris Ronane, I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, won that race and he's taking that office on uh, January 1st. But the work to educate candidates doesn't stop on election day, right? And so Joel, where does work like that happen from going from forward from here? Yeah, so uh, there's always opportunities when, especially when you have somebody who's new to the office to um, start building their knowledge base about what's important in their communities um, from the day after that they uh, are elected. And so you have these transition efforts that are there to support the candidates now, the elected, you know, the people that have been elected to that office to get them up to speed on what's important in the field. And we do that, we try to do that work um, where we're engaged with candidates who are um, gonna be dealing with Great Lakes issues. So you know, areas like Cuyahoga County, um, uh, newly elected officials like you know, Governor Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania, um, folks who are new to the Great Lakes world uh, and need that information so they can make good decisions about uh, Great Lakes policy, you know, in their first couple of years in office. Uh, and that's something that, you know, the Alliance and, and other groups across the Great Lakes region are doing right now is making sure that uh, those 
candidates, now elected officials understand which water issues are really important to their community. Uh, because again, as, as we've talked about, uh, you know, water, water investment, water regulation, just keeping our water clean uh, is one of the most bipartisan slash nonpartisan issues there is. And in my experience, uh, you know, a lot of elected officials uh, want to be on the right side of the Great Lakes um, from day one. And so we'll give them the information they need to make the smart choices. And Don, it sounds like you're also going to be busy doing a lot of that education work. I forget how many uh, new members you said there are in, from the Great Lakes region uh, in Congress this year. 28. And yes, we will be we will be meeting with them and educating them and getting them up to speed on their issues. And as Joel mentioned, a lot of the issues around water are bipartisan, and there's a lot of support for that at the local level and the state level. So it's not that it's um, it's not a divisive issue to go in and talk about. They hear a lot about this from their constituents. So yes, we will be meeting with a lot of new people as the Congress convenes in January. That's great. Um, you know, in addition to all of the uh, offices that are on ballots, there were a couple of um, high-profile ballot measures um, that people had a voters had a chance to weigh in on um, on environmental issues. In New York State, uh, voters approved a 4.2 billion dollar environmental bond act. In Cook County, Illinois, which is where Chicago is located, voters approved an increased tax levy to support uh, the local forest preserves, uh, which is parkland in the Cook County area. And both passed by wide margins. Each had a roughly sort of two out of three voters were in support. Um, you know, in an era where everything seems so divided, it seems like every election we're hearing about, the races are decided by increasingly small margins. I think it's interesting that when you pull out environmental issues and have them stand alone on a ballot, they seem to be pretty successful. Why do you think that's the case? Joel, let's start with you. Yeah, so you know, two third majority, yes, is still you know an uncommon result for anything, right? And so what you, what you see there is you know that people are crossing party lines to vote for those, those referendums or however it's presented in, in that state or the county. What I see there, you know, number one is that people understand that, uh, you know, a good environment leads to healthy people, healthy families, healthy neighbors, and a good quality of life. And that's something that's worth spending on today because people know that that investment is going to last through tomorrow, the next year, and the decade after that, right? So there's a basic understanding of that that I think is, is really encouraging. The other thing I see is that, again, going back to the top of this conversation, uh, Voters aren't concerned about spending if they know that that spending is being invested in something that's going to help their community, is going to help their neighbors, themselves, uh, improve their health and protect clean water, clean air uh, for, for generations to come. And so often when we get caught up in this concern about, you know, are, you know, are we spending too much here uh, or spending too much there, um, voters understand that spending on the environment is an investment in today and in the future and that the, the benefits really are incalculable uh, and people are, are willing to make those choices, again, across party lines, um, you know, even when we're in what we're in right now, which is a you know, high inflation environment. Um, the, the, the investment in the environment is something that is seen as a, an absolute must by communities across the Great Lakes region. Don, I don't know if you have any perspectives from Washington on that. I'm just going to add one thing. Joel is exactly right about the connection between a healthy environment and um, public health. It's, it's important. 
but it's also it's a, an investment in the economy. Generally, environmental investments are also investments in a robust economy and a growing economy. And I think people realize that and that's why they're willing to make them. So it's really you get you get sort of a multiple thing out of it. It's not a either or you can have a healthy environment or a healthy economy. Actually, investing in the environment is a good economic pays good economic dividends. And so looking ahead, uh, you know, we obviously are going to have a busy uh, January as all of these different elected officials start to take office. Um, you know, for candidates elect, no matter where they are uh, on the on the political spectrum, um, what are we looking for them to tackle in the coming year? Um, Don, I'll start maybe with you thinking about the federal level. Well, sure. At the federal level, you know, we have a number of priorities. They're very similar to last year. We're going to be looking for the new Congress to be investing in the programs that we've been advocating for for years in terms of water infrastructure, the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, other federal projects like Joel mentioned, Brandon Road. We're going to be looking for them to provide funding in the annual spending bills as well as anything else. So that'll be one thing. Um, we'll be also looking for them to prioritize um, existing, existing programs um, and things that are underway, like the Great Lakes Coastal Resiliency Study and things that deal with coastal climate change adaptation, things like that. So we'll be looking for them to continue some of the things we've been advocating for for years. Joel, I don't know if you want to add anything on the federal level and have any thoughts on the state level. Yeah, one thing I mentioned on the federal level is that um, you know, the Great Lakes does play a big role in the negotiation of the Farm Bill um, because uh, I expect you know, Senator Debbie Stabenow from Michigan to be the chair of the Agriculture Committee. And so, as Don mentioned earlier, that, that um, legislation will be up for renewal next year and there will be an uh, ongoing negotiation there. And of course, that is uh, the biggest uh, determinant of federal policy around agriculture, which has a huge impact on the waters of the Great Lakes. So that's a great opportunity for us and, and many others to work with um, the Great Lakes champions uh, in, in the Senate on advancing a farm bill that's going to be protective of clean water. So that, that's a big one. Um, you know, the other area that I think that Midwest uh, at the state level, you know, Midwest uh, governors and legislators really need to stay up to speed on is the implementation of our of water infrastructure funding and policy, right? So we're seeing unprecedented, well, I shouldn't say unprecedented, we're seeing a major investment in water infrastructure here in the Great Lakes that's been uh, unseen since the 70s. And so um, that's phenomenal, but there is a lot of work to do over the next four years at the state level to make sure that those funds go to where they're needed most, that the states are being really smart and strategic about how to get the, you know, the best clean water outcomes for the largest number of people and deal and, and making sure the communities that have been disinvested in for decades get the support they need. That's a, that's a big order. And so I know making sure that the governors and their, and their legislatures stay focused on, on managing those programs is going to be really critical. And as I mentioned earlier, I think there's going to be opportunities here and there in key states, uh, like for example, with agriculture, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Ohio to be looking at policy changes. There'll be opportunities, I think, to start addressing this scourge of plastic pollution because you know, the states are just getting frustrated with you know, the lack of policy solutions uh, at the federal level. I think you're going to start to see a spark there. Um, and I'm sure there will be more. But uh, the, the thing that will not change is there will continue to be a, a high priority focus on the Great Lakes as, a, as the environmental issue that brings this region together um, and that, as I said earlier, decision makers want to be on the right side of. 
Well, thanks so much, Don and Joel, for sharing your perspective on the election. Certainly, it's uh, still an evolving issue. I know we're all going to be paying close attention to those final uh, recounts and uh, the runoff in Georgia to see who controls uh, and how much of a majority in both house. So uh, thank you, both of you. Um, and uh, we appreciate you for taking the time today. Thank you. Thank you for listening. On our website, greatlakes.org slash lakeschat, you'll find links to more information about the topics that we talked about today. And you can also sign up for updates to stay in the know about Great Lakes issues and opportunities to get involved. Special thank you to my colleague, Michelle Farley, who produces this podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you'll know when the next episode drops. Talk to you next week.